Well, anybody in here ready for the word? Well, good. Get your Bibles out and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'll tell you, Lisa and I just went to Tulsa. I, was, I left Sunday. I don't know if y'all noticed that. But that's all right. I was back Sunday night. That rainstorm set on Orlando International Airport all day. So they canceled my flight. So I got to walk into my house about 1 o'clock in the morning. And then I flew out with Lisa Wednesday. And then on the way home last night, they diverted us so we could sit in Tampa for a while. So the, the conference was good, but getting there and getting back. So I started praying over the weather systems here in Florida. Amen. I'm kind of thinking it's rained enough. What do y'all think? I think we've had plenty of rain, and I think it's time for it to stop for just a little while, especially over the airport. You know, I think some things are just demonic. Thank you for y'all's enthusiasm. I do. You know, we see where the devil started a storm when, the, when the, sh the disciples were on the sea. Well, Jesus stopped it. Amen. You're sitting in an airport, and you've got to pray that you'll get home Amen. so you can go preach. And I'm going, I will go home in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been talking about what? Does anybody even know what we've been talking about? Love. Yes. love. <laughs> and we even played a song. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Amen. Amen. So... So we've been talking about love. Now, here's why we've been talking about it. Because, there, you know, my, my sermon series is how do we live? We understand the world is very different than it was 10, 15 years ago. And getting worse by the moment. And how do we live? How are we supposed to even be living in this mess? Well, we should be living right. But what does that look like? So we've been talking about love. We've been talking about walking in love. Jesus said... That we would love even as he loves. He also said they would know us by our love, by our agape. Then we found out that, that, uh, that phileo and agape are not the same thing. The world does not have agape because God is agape. You got to be born again to have agape. And what we have called love in the church is not love at all. It's brotherly love. It's friendship. It's a love that fails when all, when, when, you know, agape love does not fail. It says love never fails, never gives up, never runs out. So, so if there is something we need to learn something about is walking in the love of God. Now today we're going to go over something and I'm going to make a statement to you before we get started. This just might be one of the most important things you'll ever learn about love in your life. And I want you to pay attention to what we're going to talk about today because I'm, I, if you'll hear me, I'm, gonna, I'm fixing to change your life if you'll just listen. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, it says, Love suffers long and is kind, it does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, and that's where we're going, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. He said right there that love um, does not behave, does not seek its own. Love, in other words, one translation says it's not selfish. Now, we're going to talk about selfishness right now. And we're going to talk about taking care of yourself the fact that Christians, even Christians, we all deal with this issue all the time. 
As a matter of fact, the world is totally self-centered. But, but when we start talking about agape love not being selfish, let me read something to you I wrote. Very often when a woman marries a man, she marries him for what he can do for her. Now, I'm not saying totally, but I'm saying in the world, if that were not true, we wouldn't have any divorces. But, but, uh, but a woman gets married with an expectation of that marriage, of that man, of what this is going to look like and what that man should do for me. And she should. Then the man marries the woman for what can this woman do for me? She's pretty. She's sexy. She sort of can cook. But very often we're, we're, we're getting married for our benefit. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking for the benefit in a marriage. But now let's contrast that with Jesus. Jesus died for one thing, only for what he could do for you. Now, let's stop for a minute. You're going to think about that. What did he get out of that? Nothing. Let's think about this for a minute. When Jesus came, and we hear Jesus talked very often about being with the Father before, before he was in Jerusalem, before he was born in Bethlehem. So we know he preexisted with God. In the Word, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then he prayed and said, Father, I'm coming to you like it was before I came. So we understand that. But he came here and took on humanity and took on a body. How long is he going to be in that body? Forever. He came and died. We, we all know the story. The nail prints in his hands and the, and the holes in his hands. They're there forever. Now, what benefit did he get out of that? He didn't get any benefit out of that. You say, well, he got me. Well, that I say, whoopie do. I mean, it wasn't like he wasn't doing good before he met you and I. Am I right? So for you and I to start thinking like this, now go to, go to a scripture. I'm going to read a scripture to you. And I pray that you think, John 13, think about it, think about it, think about it. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I loved you, you love one another. By this all will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Do you realize what he just said? I want you to love even as I do. I want you to love people without strings, without conditions, doing things for one another that there is no benefit for you. Now, is that possible? It has to be because he told us we could do it. Now, what he just attacked, what he just dealt with was selfishness. The opposite of love is not hate. Because God hates sin. So love hates. But God so loved the world he gave. The, the biggest plague on the earth is selfishness. So what is selfishness? What is it? 
How do you define selfishness? Well, I was in a, um, I was in a dentist office one day and um, there was a kid there that had all the toys. He had about five, six, seven toys in his arms. He didn't want anybody else in the dentist office to play with them. They were all his. But he couldn't play with them either. Because he had all of them in his arms, making sure no other kid in the dentist office could get their hands on them. Had them all up in his arms, and he was a selfish little brat. Now, wouldn't it have been better if he'd have just given one toy to all the other kids in the, uh, and they played together? Wouldn't that have been better? And we're looking at that going, that little kid is a selfish. Well, listen, every one of us in this room, we deal with selfishness. So I'm going to give you a definition for selfishness. Selfishness is nothing more than self-preservation. That means that you are making sure that you get yours. I'm going to make sure that I get my lunch today. I'm going to make sure that Lisa does for me what I expect her to do for me. What is that? The selfishness. Now, what if I entered a marriage without that? And can you? Now, I'm going to make a statement to you, and my, my, my daughters don't like me talking about my last marriage but, because, you know, they're here and they listen by CD. But you know, but you know what, I you know what I owned at the end of that marriage. Nothing. She came and told me what she wanted, and she took it all, and I gave it to her. Did you know that I never went to court? Just ask her what she wants, and what was left, Lisa threw away. Now, why did I do that? Well, because when I got married, I gave me away. Now, you may not understand that. Now, you think, well, wait a minute. You, you left with nothing? Well, not really. I left with God. Amen. Do y'all see where we're going? Yes. If I have him, do I really have any needs? No, no I don't. Amen. Because he said he'd supply all of my needs. All right. So, so it says, if you, a new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I love you, you love one another. Um, go to 1 John chapter 4. Let's talk about what love is first. Since someone wrote a song looking for love in all the wrong places. And I want to know what love is, which we played last week, and it seemed like all of y'all knew the song. <laughs> 1 John chapter 4. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. He said there isn't any fear in love. Now, Every time that you become afraid, what about me, is when you get selfish. And that's when you get out of love. That's the thing that's hindering your love walk. What's going to happen to me? Am I going to get mine? Well, what are you going to do if someone takes it away? If God loves you unconditionally, and he does, 
I want you to think about this. If you were a billionaire, you really wouldn't worry about someone robbing you of a hundred bucks. If your father was a billionaire, you wouldn't worry about someone robbing you. Now, now it, when a person walks with God, the fear of life goes away. Because you have God. If God loves you unconditionally and he, he gave you and I, Jesus, will he not with him freely give you all things? Do you really have a need? You don't. We're going to talk in a minute about the fear of consecrating to God that everybody seems to fight with. And we're going to talk about why we have that. Now, the perfect love that he's talking about here is when you are made perfect in God's love for you, then the fear goes away. It isn't when your love walk gets perfect. It's when you're rooted in the love of God. Now, when I get through this series, I have a desire to spend a month on the blood of Jesus. Everything God does for you, he does it because of what Jesus did. You're not earning it. It's not because you're good, bad, or ugly. It's all because of Jesus. Now, you realize that when you got born again, God gave you the right to walk into the throne room and get anything you want. Now, if you've got that ability, then where is fear? So the fear is actually coming from the fact that you don't know God real well. It, it's, not, it's not circumstances that's causing that fear. It's you just don't know your own father. The church today does not know God. They know about God, but they don't know God. You got to walk with God to know God. And that's why we act like heathen. Boy, I was good. I appreciate y'all's amen in the whole nine yards. I mean, the church sometimes don't act any different than the world. Are we just as ugly as the world, as mean as the world? And you ain't going to do that to me no more. You do that, you slap me, I'll slap you back, man. My God, I'll slap the white off of you, boy. I'm going to tell you right now. See, and we act like that because we're afraid. Boy, that's good preaching. All right, now let's go on because I'm going to show you something. Go to Numbers chapter 14. I got to find it, you know. Children of Israel just came out of Egypt and God's trying to get him in the promised land. He's trying to get him in the promised land. He's trying to help him out. 14.1. And all the congregation lifted their voices and started crying. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us out in this land to fall by the sword? And our wives and children become victims. Wouldn't it have been better for us to stay in Egypt? So they got together and selected another pastor. People do it every week. 
I don't like him. I think I'll just change churches. Well, that's all right. They change wives and everything else. Just wish you'd change your underwear. Amen. All right. What's wrong with these people? What are they afraid of? One more time. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of dying. Now, I want you to think about this. God came into Egypt and delivered them mightily, didn't he? Is he a good God? Got them out of Egypt by a mighty hand, delivered them from Pharaoh, split the Red Sea, killed all of their enemies. He's been feeding them with manna every morning. He's had a cover over their head so they don't burn to death. They've had a fire at night so they don't freeze to death. And they're afraid that God is sending them into a battle and they're going to die. Who is taking care of who? I mean, is God taking care of them? He is absolutely taking care of them. Who's taking care of you? God's taking care of you. I got news for you. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you have a job. He got you. You have money. He gave you. Everything you got, he gave it to you. You got a brain he gave you. Without the, without the Holy Ghost, you wouldn't even be sitting in here. You, he gave you the knowledge of Jesus. You didn't do that. He gave you salvation. He gave you the Holy Ghost or you'd be dumb as a rock. He has healed your body and lifted you up. And you're still trying to figure out whether to tithe or not. Because if you don't, you're going to die of starvation by God. I mean, now let's stop for a minute. Let's talk about this a minute. You come into church and someone starts mentioning tithing and you fall apart like a $2 suitcase. I thank you for Andrew for that. Stuff. So you got a $100 bill and God wants you to put 10 in the offering plate. And you go, uh-uh, I'll die. Who's taking care of you? You taking care of you. You know why God asks you to do it? He wants you to quit trusting yourself and your money. Amen. And he just wants to find out whether you're just going to obey someday in your life. Do you really think, do you really think you're feeding you? Do you really think you're paying your house payment? Do you really think, now if that don't work, if you can't trust him with $10, how in the world are you going to trust him when you drop dead to get you to heaven? Amen. What you got for a backup plan? Asbestos suit. <laughs> Now, I'm going to tell you, you know, the, the trouble with sickness and disease in the church is not that you're sick. It's just that you don't trust God with nothing. Amen. You don't even trust him with your life. How are you going to trust him when you get sick? How are you going to trust him with your finances since you're the one making all of your money? Amen, folks. The reason that you act the way you act is that you're afraid of failure. You're afraid of dying. You're afraid of being broke. You're afraid you're going to get into a big mess and you can't get out. So you got your little toys all huddled up in your arm and you don't want to play with nobody. If I give it away, I mean, that's gone forever. That's my money. Poor old God. I mean, just think if poor old God would actually tell the truth sometimes. I mean, did he? Does he meet all of your needs according to his riches? He absolutely does. So the fear is because you and I don't know God all that well. But the moment you get to know God, the fear is gone and you can quit being self-centered and preserving yourself. So what happened to these people? 
They all died. It wasn't long after that they died. There's no cure for cancer. Except for God. If you'd walk with God, you wouldn't even get it. And you're not going to eat a biscuit, stop eating biscuits and start eating green drink and get rid of it either. I'm going to tell you right now, it's the spirit. I mean, I, I, I eat right. And don't ever, don't ever think that I'm picking on people who eat right. If you're eating processed food, it's killing you. You need to quit. Start eating vegetables, start eating right. But honey, Jesus went around, he said, he said he healed all that were afflicted of the devil. You can't green drink a demon out of you. <laughs> now I know the people who are health food nuts that I just made them mad, but listen, I didn't take away your green drink. I just said, add Jesus to it. <laughs> Jesus and green drink. In that order. All right. So the reason we do that, the reason we are selfish is that we're afraid. So when I got born again, I was broke. I was broke. And I decided, well, in order to obey God, I've got to give. And God got on to me one day, and I'm, I'm going to tell you the story. I, I, we got longer. You know, we're going to take that clock off the wall one day, and we're going to throw it in the trash, and we're just going to forget this. But I went through what you went through. I went through the same thing. And I was making, listen, just, I told you I made $83.30 a week, and then I got a job and made $125. But $125 means now I'm paying taxes. So that's not $125. That's like $110. And now I've got to drive to work and all this, and I'm really back at $80 a week, even though I'm now working. And I told God, I said, I need some money. And then he said, I guess you think I lied about it. And I said, I didn't say anything about you lying. I said, I need money. And then he quoted Luke 6, 38 to me and made me mad as a hotcake. Given it shall be given. And I'm broke. I'm broke. Are you serious, God? I'm broke. I said I'm broke. He said, so you think I lied about it. It made me mad. He's not going to change for you. If you want to get out of debt, then you're going to stop being selfish. And you're going to quit thinking about just yourself. Or you're going to stay broke. That's why you're broke, because you're selfish. That's why you're sick, because you're selfish. So imagine living, imagine a man marrying a woman for what he can do for her. All the women are like, yeah. And that's exactly what you should be doing. And when you, as a woman, get married, you should think, what can I do to help this man be the man God called him to be? You're there as a helper, not as a hindrance and a, and a blood-sucking financial drain the credit card down to nothing. Jesus said they know us by our love. That means the first thing that needs to go is selfishness. You're going to have to start doing some things for other people's benefit, even though you think at the time it didn't benefit you at all. But it does. Did Jesus get something out of it? Well, he rose from the dead and became the king of glory for all eternity. 
you're not going to outgive God. But you're going to have to get over the fear, the fear of being broke, the fear of dying, the fear. You've got to conquer the fear. So, so um, go to John chapter 13 again. Go back to John 13. I should have told you to stay there. Verse 36, Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you're going to follow me afterwards. And Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Really? Look at it. Did he? Not at first he did not. Look at what Jesus says to him. Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. We know that happened, but what does that say? Jesus knows what you're going to eat for breakfast a year from today. He ought to be able to take care of you. I mean, when Jesus is telling you what you're going to do in the future, isn't that somebody you can trust? So here's the whole key. Do you trust God? Good. Because that's the litmus test of walking in love. You're not going to stop being selfish until you've learned to trust God with your life. All selfishness is self-preservation. That's what Peter's doing here. And I'm going to read the rest of this because all of the stuff that's going on in your life right now is all about what about me, what about me, what about me. All of your pity, all of your crying, all of your cussing, fussing, fighting. What about me? Come on, folks. You're wondering, I'm this love walk is tough. It is until you die. I think we're just going to kill you. We're going to kill him with some kindness, though. Okay. All right, let's jump over here real quick. I'm preaching better than you, amen, but that's all right. I, that's not the first time. Um, John 18 Verse 15, Simon Peter followed and so did another disciple. Now the disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus to the courtyard of the high priest. Peter stood on the door outside of the other disciple who was known to the high priest and went out and spoke with her who kept the door and brought Peter in. And the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, are you one of his disciples? Aren't you? And he said, I'm not. That's called a lie. Why did he lie? Now the servant, the officer who had made a fire, he stood there. It was cold and they warmed themselves and Peter stood and warmed himself with them. All right, let's look at um, 25, verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said, you are not also one of the disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, didn't I see you in the garden? And Peter denied it and immediately the rooster crowed. Now, Jesus told him, you do this. Now, now here's the good news. We're going to go over to John 21 in a minute where Jesus restored him. But don't we read in the book of Acts later, they arrested Jesus and was going to kill him? Yes. 
What did it say he was doing that night? Sleeping. Now, if they're going to kill you, how can you sleep? Peacefully. Do you think he's worried in the jail that night about dying? No. He's not worried about going broke. He's not worried about not having any money. He's not worried about his next vacation. Why is that? Because we're going to read here in a minute where Jesus restored him and he gave himself to God. Now that may scare you, but we're going to talk about that. How many of y'all are ready to give yourself away? You need to. If you got married, you gave yourself away. When you got born again, that's what you were supposed to be doing in the altar is giving yourself away. Now, Peter hadn't got here yet. He's running his mouth, but he ain't done this yet. So go to John 21. Let's, talk, let's, let's look at Peter again. Now, it says that Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now, what does that mean? It did not mean that he was going to go catch a fish. It meant I'm going back to the way I was before I met Jesus. Because I've already found out that I can't live the life he's asking me to live. Christianity is impossible without God. If you're walking with God without him, you're wore out and you're tired. I'm tired, pastor. I'm tired. Well, if you'd stop being so backslidden, you wouldn't be tired. Because the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength and he is your strength. He is your life. He is the breath in your body. He is the food you're eating. He is your future. He is your past. He is everything. You're not running around in lack of anything if you're walking with God. He is your healer. He is your financier. He's everything. You don't have a need. He says he meets all of your needs. I mean, I mean, he meets the need for a good man. He will get you a good one. But you're going to follow him. Because if you pick one, I got news for you, it'll be the wrong guy. You let him find him and bring him to you. And then he's responsible for that little numb nut. So you can go to God and say, this is the man you told me to marry. Now you fix him. If you married the one you wanted, then you own your own, baby. You and the lawyer and your mama. Come on, I'm preaching better than you, amen. You got... You young people have got to understand, they ain't, they ain't sexy forever. They, it, there's a scripture that says, this too shall pass. Gravity takes over and everything that used to be up is down. And that old tight face gets all saggy and loose and get a little jaw right there and you get a little pudge and and let me tell you something ladies don't ever look at your husband and say do I look fat in this dress if he says yes he ain't eating for a week and you know it 
Don't set him up for failure. Just leave him alone, you know. Just. All right, that's enough of that. I'm trying to help these young people out. <laughs> it's true anyway. So Jesus goes to find Peter. Now, why didn't Peter come find Jesus? Let me tell you something. I don't care where you are right now in your walk. He's looking for you. He's drawing you. Wherever you go, he is chasing you down. He's sending people across your path to talk to you. He's helping you with stuff you, you didn't know anything about. He is working to get you to come back home. All right, so he goes and finds Peter. Verse 15, when they had eaten breakfast, Peter said to Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. He said, feed my sheep. In other words, you may have, you may have given up on me, but I didn't give up on you. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. I don't care if you blew it, there's still a call on your life and you can still come back to God and you can still walk with God again and come back and do the thing God called you to do to begin with. You say, but I messed up a lot. Well, honey, that's why we have a lot of grace. His love isn't based on you. All right. So he says to him, feed my sheep. And he said a second time, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? Love me with the love of God. And he said, yes, Lord, you know, I phileo you like a friend. He's not going there with Jesus again. And he said a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he looked at Jesus and said, you know everything you know you know me better than I know me isn't that good you know that I'm not there yet and then he told him how he would die let me tell you something about the love of God it doesn't change just because you go up and down now, he's asked us to love like that. And I'm going to tell you something. That's not easy to do. So I'm going to tell my story. And I know y'all like to hear my story. And if, you, if I, if, and, and, and if when I go home to be with Jesus, just ask Melanie Hayward. She knows all my stories. <laughs> but when I got born again, easiest thing in the world to do is give God everything when you're broke. I mean, it wasn't real hard to give him all since all I had was bills <laughs> and a sick body and a messed up life. It wasn't hard to lay my life on the line, but I knew enough at that time that I needed to do that. I knew enough that if I didn't do it, I'd go back to the old life and I didn't want to go back. So I did something very different than the average Christian. I laid it all down. And I walked away from sin, and I, and, I, and I threw the playboys in the trash. I threw the drugs away. I threw the rock music, and I started living for God. And I'm glad that I did. But now let's fast forward a few years. I've been to Rama, been to Rama Bible Training Center. I've been working for God. When I got, on, when I got saved, I got on fire for God. I gave him, I gave him 100% of me. And then one day... While I'm, and I moved here to Orlando, I'm working with Tom Copeland. I went through a divorce. 
Now, I want you to think about what that feels like when you wake up one day and you have been giving God everything and you wake up one day and everything is gone. I didn't have a child. I didn't have a house. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money. I didn't have anything. Don't you think the devil don't mess with you? Look what you did for God and look where you are. So I married Lisa, and um, I got me a job, and I hated my job. Now, let me tell you something about a backslider. They're miserable people. Now, I wasn't, backsl- I didn't, I wasn't running around smoking dope and chasing wild women. I wasn't. I just, I, I just, I, I just wasn't going to do that again. I wasn't going to give him me again. I, I cost too much. So I get up and I go to work every day and, and I prayed all the time, God, what do you want me to do? And finally one day, after I'd been miserable, I say a year and I think it was longer than that. I had a little blue Hilux pickup truck and I'm headed down the road going to work one morning and God came in my pickup truck. And he said, when are you going to do what I want you to do? I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I'm not going to tell you. I want you to agree that you'll do it. And I said, no. I wanted to get quiet in here. I want you to think about what I'm saying to you. And many Christians are sitting in this spot right now. You're, You're born again, but Jesus does not have you. The world has you. You got your dreams, you've got your visions, and you've got your life mapped out. And you're praying that God will bless it somehow or another. And you're scared to death to give it to God because he's liable to send you to Africa. Or he's liable to do something that you don't, he's liable to ask you to do something you don't want to do. Let's just sit here a minute. I want you, this is a very serious moment right now because this right here, what I'm talking about, this will make you or break you. I said, God, I'm afraid. I bowed over that steering wheel and I cried my guts out. I said, I gave you everything and I have nothing left. He said, I want you, I want you to say, I'll do what you say. I said, I'm afraid. And then he went to the heart of it all. He said, I know you have a wife and I know you have a family. Now, when you lose a family, that's a big deal to you. Your family becomes very precious when you look up one day and it's gone. He said, I want you to trust me. And I'll tell you, it was the hardest day of my life to bow over that steering wheel and to make a consecration to God again. Yes, sir. I'll do what you asked me to do. Now, he allowed me for a while to be an evangelist. He allowed me to fly my airplanes. He allowed it. And the day came that one of the things I didn't want to do was pastor. 
Why is that? Because I'm afraid of pastoring. I'm not. What's that guy in Houston? Joel Osteen. As much as you're praying, I will become Joel. I, I was a real good construction boss. We slung buildings up. We built a house a day in Bay Hill. We pulled up on, on sand and we, pull, we left with the lentil poured. We built houses. I mean, you can make some money. Thank you for y'all's enthusiasm. And for me to do that, for me to bow my knee and say, God, whatever. I, I, first of all, I was a little bit afraid he was going to ask me to leave my family and travel and not be with them. And I did not want to do that. The next thing was it scared me to pastor because my personality, I, I'm more like John Wayne and Patton than I am a pastor. I'm just really a little rough. And one lady says, you're so raw. And I don't, I don't know. I, I think I'm not an oyster, am I? I'm just. <laughs> but I, but I know, I, I know that, I know that I don't look, walk, talk it. I have to pull a card to prove I'm a pastor. Because people go, I know way you are. But that really concerned me that I really wouldn't be able to do the job. But that day was the day that I stepped back in because Jesus wanted me to give him me. And why not? The children of Israel messed up because they were afraid. Many people today mess up because they're afraid. Now, has he hurt me? I like to deer hunt, but since I laid my deer hunting down, I've hunted elk in Colorado. I've hunted um, deer in Alabama. Fixing to go duck hunting in Arkansas this year. Been mule deer hunting in Colorado. Folks, God hasn't kept me. He has not hurt me. As a matter of fact, everything I've ever desired in my life, he has given me that exceeding abundantly above. I don't lack for finances. I don't lack for anything. I have so many things now that it, it's expensive to keep the tags up. I have a bass boat and a kayak and a canoe and a jet ski and a lake and a, and a pool and a truck. And a beautiful wife. I mean, he hadn't, he, hasn't, he hadn't kept anything from me, but he did ask me for me. Now, that means that there's times he goes, I have something I want you to do, and he expects me to go do it. That's the reason why I've been in this church for 32 years. Don't you think you're that good? You're not. I've quit many times. You get to leave. I don't. I gave him my word. I wish you would. The reason the church is, is, is crazy today is that you don't, you don't walk in love. You don't walk in love. You're not walking in God. You don't even know God. You can't change churches and find God. 
until you get faithful to God, it doesn't matter where you go to church and whether, the, whether it's Jesse one day and, and Kenneth the next, it isn't doing you any good because you're unfaithful inside. It isn't the church service that makes you. It's you obeying God and walking with God that makes you. And until we learn this, that this is what love is, love gives all. It's completely 100% unselfish. I don't have to do anything to take care of me. You realize what that's like when you're laying in a hospital and the doctor says that your insides are full of gangrene? I don't have to keep me alive. I didn't call me. I said, well, you got a problem, God. Do you want me to go back and preach or you want me to go to heaven? But either way, I'm happy. And I just went and read a book. And he thought, well, I might want to heal him if I want him back in the pulpit. So the next Wednesday, I'm standing here preaching. You say, well, I wish I had that much faith. It's not my faith in healing. It, it started back in a pickup truck over a blue steering wheel. Y'all out there, you go home. So has it been rough? Yeah. Yeah. Folks, if you're going to walk with God, it's going to get rough. If you ain't rough, then you probably don't know the Lord real good. In the world, you will have tribulation. In the world. Listen, if you're living for God, the devil knows who you are. And he's going to give you fits. But like Peter, you can sleep at night when you know that the guy that he got you out of the mess in the past already knows what you're going to be doing in the future. He knows when you're going to die. He already knows you need food. He already knows whatever you need. And he's already got everything prepared for you before you ever get there. He's got your husband. He's had him. He's had him for, for 7,000 years now, baby. He's already got it. You just get in the will of God and you'll find him. Get out of the will of God and you'll find a numb nut. Are y'all out there? Did you go home? See, the real, the real secret to having anything is to give it all away. Wow, boy, that's good preaching. Lisa, we told you the story about... um us going on vacation in um, um, Arizona. Arizona. But folks, listen, when I gave that $400 away, $200, Lisa said, I mean, I, I really thought, that's, boy, how stupid. I did that so someone else would benefit. I, got no, I thought I got no benefit out of that. I thought. Until God got me a vacation in Arizona with a cabin in Padona with a pickup truck. And then I came home with money in my pocket after I preached in a church. Man, I'm going to tell you, when God gives you a vacation, it's, it beats any $200 thing. All the money I had didn't do squat. This last time, Lisa and I, we'd been wanting to do something. and We'd been wanting to do something special. Well, the Lord dealt with us to to go to Norway and to help Kevin and Leslie. Now, let me tell you something. We already work hard. When you start talking about going to Norway to take care of, them, of, a, of a minister and to be there for him, well, you have to be unselfish to do that. 
That's not, it, it's, it's not easy to travel around the world. You think sitting in an airplane is fun. It's not. But somehow or another, mysteriously, everyone arrived late but me and Lisa, and, and they gave us a cabin on the top of a mountain. And we had a three-day honeymoon in Norway, and someone gave us a car because there is a God, and he sees what you're doing. And then we got to do something we would never be able to do, and we didn't pay a dime for it. I can't wait to see what else he's got in store for us to do. See, I can tell you stories like this all day long of the goodness of God. Are y'all okay? Love as I love. Do something for someone else that is of no benefit to you. God sees it though. Your days of selfishness. I'm going to tell you a story. Then we're going to, then we're going to take communion. Right after I got born again, the God, Jesus would come in the house, my apartment, and he'd sit down and tell me stories. And he'd always tell me a story along with the Bible to show me some scripture so I'd understand the scripture. So I know you've heard this story before, but bear, witness with, bear with me. I'm going to tell it to you again. When I'm sitting in my, I'm laying in the bed and Jesus comes walking in. I didn't see him with my eyes, but I could always tell when he came in the room because he'd say these words to me, want to hear a story? And I always say, yes, sir. And I knew as I'm getting ready, he was fixing to tell me something that helped me with a word. And he said, there was a man that owned a, a, a big store back in the early 1900s. Now, all of you older people, you'll have to explain this to the younger people. This was back in the days when they had one general store and everything you needed was in it. Everything from pickle barrels to cloth. People didn't have dresses, they made dresses. Y'all remember the jiffy dress, you'd get the thing out and you'd sew all day and then that's, okay, okay. Some of y'all, you know the guy that made the, um, they used to put flour in bags and, and, they, and they found out that women were making dresses for their daughters out of flower bags. So the man started doing printed flower bags to hold the flower so the mamas could make dresses for their daughters. That's a, that's a true story. So back in the day when they would, had old general stores, there was an elderly man and his wife and they had no children and he's getting up in age. And he got to thinking about it one day and he thought, well, I don't know who to give my store to when I die and I don't know what to do. So he got an idea and he put a sign in the window and he says, help wanted. And that afternoon, a little boy coming down the street saw the help wanted sign and stepped in to the hardware store, the general store and said, I see a sign. Uh, you have a job for me. He says, yes, I do. Would you come to the back room? And he walked into the back room with him and then there was three barrels uh, that were empty and one was full of nuts and bolts and washers. And he said, would you please take the nuts out and put them in one, the bolts and put them in another and the washers and put them in another one. And he said, yeah, I can do that. So the little boy jumps in there with all of his heart and starts nut, bolt, washer, 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 nut, bolt. And he gets down to the bottom of the barrel and now we're talking early 1900s. And in the bottom of the barrel, he sees a silver dollar laying there. So he climbs over in that big old 55-gallon barrel, and he picks up that silver dollar and chunks it right in his pocket. Yeah, this is my day. 
Now, there was a time, that's a week's wages. So he jumps out and he goes to the man. He said, I did what you asked me to do. The man came back out there and said, hey, that looks pretty good. Nuts, bolts, washers, thank you. Went to the old cash register. Y'all remember this, cha-ching. And he paid the boy for the work. And the boy got his baseball and bat and left the store and went down the road. The next morning, the old man got up and poured the nuts, bolts, washers back in the barrel and put the sign back in the window. Another little boy came down and did the same exact thing. He says, you have a job for me. I have something I'd like for you to do. He gets to the bottom of the barrel and there's a silver dollar in the bottom of the barrel. Picks it up, puts it in his pocket, gets his baseball and bat and goes down the road. That afternoon, the old man went in there and took the, took the nuts and bolts and washed, poured them back in the barrel, put the sign back in the window. Another little third little boy coming down the street, saw the sign, came in, same thing again. Third little boy gets to the bottom of the barrel and there's a silver dollar and picks it up and puts it in his pocket. Walks out, my old man cha-ching pays him and the little boy turns to him and says, Sir, when, um, when I was in there, I found something and I think it's yours. Handed the man the silver dollar back. I'm laying in my bed and Jesus is telling me this story. I said, Father God, explain that to me. He said, the first little boy went down the street and took a silver dollar and he, and he bought ice cream for all of his friends and became the most popular kid in town. The first, second little boy went and put home and hid it for a rainy day. And the third little boy gave it back to the owner. And the old man looked at the third little boy and said, I'm old. I'm going to die soon. I'd like to give you the store. Which little boy benefited? The last one. Jesus gave you your life. You can do anything you want to. You're either living it today to be popular or you've hidden it for yourself or you're going to give it back to God. But when you give it to God, he'll give you what is his. This whole thing we call church is really nothing more than a big test. Listen to me. What you're going through right now is a test. The money he's handing you is a test. The time he's given you is a test. Because he's got something he wants to give you, and he's not giving it to you until you quit being selfish and living for yourself. When you start living for him, he will give you everything. I'm talking this side of heaven. He'll give you everything. Go to Romans 3. We're going to take communion. That is the biggest issue you are facing right this minute. What to do about my life and what to do about what God is asking me to do. And everybody I know has their day over their blue steering wheel. Everybody has that day where you're wrestling with God. I was going to do it this morning. I was going to bring E.W. Kenyon. I was talking in the, in, the story, in the book about how he wrestled with God. God kept saying, I want you, E.W. E.W. was already a Christian. 
I want you lock, stock, and barrel. And I'm going to tell you something. When I get to heaven after I meet Jesus, I'm going to find E.W. Kenyon. That man has changed my life. You have no idea what his books have done for me and my family. And his obedience to God. Brother Hagin's obedience to God has kept me alive and changed my life. Thank God for that man. Laid his life down, and I'm here today because of him. Think about that for a minute. Who is going to be on the earth because of you? Who's benefiting because of your life? Well, that's something. That's, are you thinking? Good. Romans chapter 3, verse... I'm going to start reading with verse 21. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus to, own, to all and own all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by grace through redemption that is in Christ, whom God set as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of the forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness righteousness that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what does propitiation mean? It means mercy seat. Everything that you have right now is because of the blood. You're saved because of the blood only. God, you needed salvation. He gave you the blood. He gave you mercy. When we take communion, communion is designed for you to realize that you're holding in your hand a symbol of the fact that the moment you received the blood of Jesus, when that blood was shed, all of your sins were paid and you were given access into the throne room of God to ask him anything you want to ask him and he will do it. Not based on you, but based on Jesus. The blood and communion is to remind you that it's Jesus is why you where you are today. It is also a reminder that everything that you need today, God is going to meet it, that you have access into the very throne room of God because of the blood of Jesus. And nothing is impossible with God. The greatest gift anybody ever gave you this side of heaven is the ability to walk in the throne room and talk to an almighty God about anything and he said, I'll do it. That's powerful. Now the devil, we overcome the devil by the blood. How do you overcome the devil by the blood? Because it's that rascal that's constantly telling you, you don't qualify. You want to be healed, but you know you're not living right. You want to get your prayers answered, but you know that everything's not right in your life. So how do you handle the devil? It was never based on you. Everything you have today was because it was a gift because of the blood. 
So when you're taking communion, you're slapping the devil upside his ugly head and going, you said I wouldn't make it, but I want you to look right here. I'm about to take communion. I'm remembering that it was the blood that got me saved. It was the blood that got me filled. It was the blood that got me healed. It's the blood that's going to get me through this week. It's the blood that's going to get me through next week. It's the blood that's going to get me to heaven when I die. It's because of the blood of Jesus that's I'm where I am. So let me tell you something, devil. You're not going to stop me from getting my answer to prayer. You're not going to stop me from my miracle. We're going to spend a whole month on the blood. Because you got to just get blood conscious. Old Pentecostals used to understand this. They're going to go ahead and start passing communion while I'm preaching. Do y'all don't mind me preaching a little bit? I, I just need to, we just need to stay here for a minute. So why then do we take the wafer? Why do we, why do we do that? Is it just another thing we do in church, another religious? Because if it is, you're going to take it and you're just going to stay sick. So what does it mean? It means that he took it. If, if, if sin is the reason you're sick, what would happen if the sin was gone? You, you would have a right to be healed, wouldn't you? Your, your healing isn't based on your faith. It's based on what Jesus did. Quit trying to work up something. Put your faith in the blood. Just simple, thank you, Jesus. You shed your blood for me, and I have a right into the throne room to ask God anything. All right, now, how many of y'all have ever gotten a bill in the mail for something you paid? I have. I don't send them money. I send them a copy of the check I wrote. Paid, buddy. I've already paid this. Now, today, when you take communion, you're sending the devil a copy of the check. Hey, dude, this is paid. What are you talking about, I owe? I don't owe anybody anything. I don't owe you. Now, the more you worship God with the blood, the faster you'll recover. And every time the devil jumps on you, you start getting to the place where you remember, it's the blood, buddy. It's the blood. When condemnation comes on you, you get on the blood. When shame tries to come on you, you remind the devil of the blood. When guilt comes on you, you remind him of the blood. And when he starts talking to you about you ain't all that, say, I never said I was. I'm just going to tell you about the blood right now. Old line Pentecostals had this thing called pleading the blood. And we've had some preachers today say that's not relevant for today. I wish they'd be quiet until they find out what they're talking about. It is relevant for the day to plead, to plead the blood of Jesus. It says in the book of Revelation, we overcome the devil by the blood. So you're about to take communion. And as you do, we're going to pray a different kind of prayer. That blood's been keeping you. That blood's going to keep keeping you. That blood's guaranteeing you a right to the throne room in heaven when you die. It's guaranteeing you a right to walk in to talk to God right now about anything. And he said, and I will do it. That's something, folks. That makes communion real powerful.
And boy, the devil hates that. Preach on anything but the blood and the name. Preach on success, but don't preach on the blood. We're too sophisticated in America to be talking about blood covenants. Well, I'm not too sophisticated to talk about the blood. We sing the song, oh, the blood of Jesus. I mean, we need to really think about what we're doing. Get get this cup in your hand and I'm going to get you to pray. I'm not going to pray for you. You're going to pray for you. Say, Heavenly Father, I am about to take communion. This is my way of reminding you that it is because of Jesus that I'm saved. When that blood was shed on the mercy seat and you saw it, all of my past was gone. All of my sin was paid. And I don't have to pay it again. Jesus did it for me. And when you saw that blood, you declared me righteous. You gave me access to walk into your throne room and talk to you about anything. Well, here I am. And I got some stuff I'm going to talk to you about. Now, devil, you listen to me. I'm about to take communion. Do you know what that means? It's the blood that washes my sins away. I'm free from sin. I'm free from sickness. And I'm free from you. You have no right to put sin on me, to put sickness on me, or to put death on me in any way. So I rebuke you. And I plead the blood. Now, Father, I take this cup in honor of what Jesus did for me. My future's good. Today is good. My prayers get answered. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead and take the cup. Now, Heavenly Father, I'm holding in my hand a cracker. It symbolizes Jesus' body. Jesus took on flesh and became a man like me. You knew that there was sickness in the earth. You knew that. That came with the fall. So Jesus took my sin and he bore my sickness in his body so I don't have to. I'm not trying to get healed. I am the healed because of Jesus. And I'll stand here and declare it. And I believe that this is mine. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did. I'm not trying to have faith. I'm not even trying to get healed. I'm just standing on my rights of what Jesus did for me. Lord Jesus, thank you for bearing my sickness and my pain in your body so I don't have to have it. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to say one thing before we close. Was that okay? Was my little sermon at today any good? Was that okay? Did I help you? Isn't it nice to have Tiffany back? I told her if I didn't see her in church this morning, I was going to come to Jamaica and get her. The hardest thing I've ever done in my life was to understand righteousness and what Jesus did for me. I didn't grasp it quickly, and you aren't either. One day, and I'm not sure when I'm going to begin, and I'm going to start a whole series on the blood. When you get rooted in the blood, that's when all sin consciousness will leave you. Satan uses sin consciousness to bind you with. You're never good enough for you to get your prayers answered. As long as he holds you in that arena, he will whip you. We have preached healing. And I think that we have failed to preach it right. Because it's always been based on what Jesus did and not on your faith in something God's going to do. When we learn about the blood of Jesus, God sees that blood as having paid every debt. So God cannot say no to you. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, but I've prayed and I've asked him. Well, stop asking him. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went around doing good and healing all the oppressed of who? The devil. The devil is the one who's sending you the, the, the bill and saying you owe. You've got to learn how to respond to him with the blood. You have no right on me. God paid a high, high price for your healing. God wants you healed far more than you want it. But he's having a hard time with your head because Satan uses condemnation on you. So I'm going to spend a whole month preaching on the blood and get you so free in Jesus that some of y'all will start smiling. Some of you will actually dance in church for the first time in your life. I was in a church in Tulsa. Bob Yandian had been preaching on righteousness at Ramah. And the reality of what God did for me, I'm sitting in church on Sunday morning. I'm not listening to anything the preacher's saying. I'm still thinking about what Bob Yandian said in class the day before. I got, I got... I sat in my chair and bounced on my fanny. I could not sit there knowing what God had done for me. And I, it was all I could do. I said to God, I, I just want to dance. And he said, well, dance. And I got out of my chair in a church that didn't dance. And I cut her up. I, I just had to get up. When the freedom hits you. When the reality of what Jesus did hits you, you'll know the truth, and truth will set you free. And one thing I'm going to say before I leave, Lisa and I, we love y'all. I'm preaching these messages on love because we need it. You walk in love, you're walking in God. God has more for you in your life than what you're experiencing right now. His, your future is good.
But I'm, it's my job to try my best to get you to cooperate with him a little. Now if, I, if I'm helping you to cooperate with God and I'm doing my job, I love you. I'm praying for y'all every day that your life will get better and better and better. Amen. I love all of you. God bless you. Thank you for coming to church. Thank you for listening to this powerful message by Pastor Daryl Morgan. We hope it blesses you. If you would like more info on Word of Life, sermons, and free downloads, please go to wordoflifeapopka.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.